This morning, what I want to uh, share about has to do with immersion. Uh, on the 21st, we have scheduled a, um, uh, a Shabbat uh, focused on tefillah or immersion. And uh, as of yet, no one has uh, come forward for immersion. So uh, whether or not we'll do it, we'll uh, wait and see. Uh, it's always important, I think, for us as Jews who believe in Yeshua to uh, discuss this topic, if not every year, at least every other year. The reason is because when we think about Jewish history, uh, forced conversion occurred, and usually that was done by baptism. Uh, there's a story, I'm not going to read it, but uh, in about 1840, 1850, in Italy, and this is not a one event, there were many, many, many examples of this, where uh, a Jewish family had a Christian, generally basically it's a Catholic uh, helper, and the helper would take one of the babies, the kids, get them christened or, you know, baptized in a Catholic church. Next thing you know, the Catholics come knocking on the door saying, you've got a Christian kid living in your house. And they take that child, and the child now becomes a ward of the state and is raised as a, as a Christian, as a Catholic. Believe it or not, that was extremely common. And, of course, if uh, you look into your family background, some of us, myself included, have examples where family members basically were told, you have two options. You can, well, three, you can either leave and leave everything behind. You can either convert and stay, or you can die. <laughs> so, you know, through Jewish history, there are all kinds of examples of Jewish people undergoing conversion, formally being baptized, not because they believed, but because they had to in order to survive. And uh, it's funny, there's, a, there's an island, I think it's Mallorca, <laughs> actually, where the, uh, the, 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 the Jews who converted were called the bacon eaters because uh, once they were forced to convert, they were also forced to stand in the doorways of their homes and eat bacon on a particular day of the year. Talk about silly, right? How could it be that the idea of immersion uh, goes so far afield? Well, part of it is this misunderstanding. Part of it is really misunderstanding. Uh, what is traditionally called baptism, remember that is a Greek word, baptizo, it literally means to go under. All right, that's to do with, with immersion. Phila is the Hebrew word that means immersion. It means, really, it means a lot. But what it, you know, in a, in a core, the core of it has to do with staining. Isn't that interesting? It has to do with staining. And yet in Jewish, uh, in the biblical text, tevila is rela- related to ritual immersion and ritual purity. Do you know that when you go through your life, living your life, and you sin, you're staining yourself? You're staining yourself. When we come become believers, where in this old figurative, but the old phrase washed in the blood of the Lamb, you know, the, the blood of Messiah Yeshua cleanses us from all sin. In essence, we now become dyed pure white seems odd, but that's really what it's all about. We become dyed pure white. We have a white stain. The stain, we, it's really a marking, whatever phrase you want to use. But we become white before the Lord, meaning cleansed of all sin. But we still go through life and, and we sin. And what does the scripture say? If we confess our sins, God is willing to forgive us our sins. Yeshua the Messiah went around before he died on the night that uh, he was betrayed, that last uh, Seder. And he went around and he washed everybody's feet. And uh, Peter doesn't want him to wash his feet. All right? Why? Because he thinks it's humiliating. 
but Yeshua is making the point that he is going to come and cleanse from all sin, but there's still the need to wash our feet as we go through our lives as believers. Now, uh, this morning, take your scriptures because we're going to be going through, oh, I put it up here, uh, going through some text. And what I would like to do is simply take a moment, to dis- uh, a few moments to discuss what immersion is, a little bit of its background, and then, uh, and then just make a challenge. Uh, again, you can see this on uh, the announcement sheet in the back. I would encourage you actually to take that out and use that uh, as an outline. Immersion simply from my perspective is an act of spiritual obedience and a public statement of faith and loyalty to Messiah Yeshua. So what the New Testament teaches is something in addition but related to what we see in the Hebrew Scriptures about ritual purity. All right? Immersion is simply comes out of that and is consistent with what we see of of immersions or the mikvah, we'll talk about that in a moment, of, of the Hebrew Scriptures. But in the New Testament, what is really critical is that immersion is a public statement of faith and loyalty to Messiah Yeshua. All right? It is not something that saves somebody. It's not related to membership in any particular institution. It's simply a statement of public loyalty, public faith in Messiah Yeshua. I want to show a quick uh, video about mikvah, because uh, what mikvah is is something that's developed in Jewish tradition, again, coming out of the biblical text. We're going to talk about it in a moment, but for most of us as American Jews, we've never been to a mikvah. I have been to all kinds of old mikvahs in the land of Israel and in Europe, but I've actually never been to the mikvahs here in Skokie and Chicago, but this gives us a good introduction and overview. In the beginning, there was only water, and water surrounds major moments in our lives. In Jewish life, there's a holy swimming pool called a mikvah. Going to the mikvah is a mitzvah, or commandment, that is linked to conversion, marriage, and women's monthly cycles. Some people also immerse in mikvahs to commemorate personal transitions, to mark changes or challenges brought on by illness or loss, and to prepare spiritually for Shabbat or Yom Kippur. So what makes this pool so special? A mikvah isn't just a swimming hole. The tradition goes back thousands of years, and the ancient rabbis delineated specific rules about what makes a mikvah. It needs enough water inside to cover a person's entire body. At least some of the water must come directly from a natural source, like a spring, or rainwater, or melted snow or ice, filtered to be warm and clean. The ocean will do nicely too. Find a calm spot and be safe. How do you take the plunge? Inside the preparation room, remove all your clothing, jewellery, makeup, contact lenses, bandages and so on. The idea is to remove anything that could come between your body and the water as best you can. After you're undressed, shower or bathe. Then you'll usually wait in a prep room. It's time to prepare spiritually, emotionally and mentally to set an intention for the experience. When you are ready, a mikvah guide will answer any questions you may have and walk you through the procedure. Don't be afraid to ask questions. There are seven steps leading into the mikvah. Step down, immerse yourself fully, and then come up for air. There is a traditional blessing said for the first dunk. Sephardi Jews say it before immersing, and Ashkenazi Jews say it after. 
Some people also say another prayer, Shehechianu. Then you go back under. Some people dunk three times, others dunk more. Each time, make sure your entire body and all your hair is completely covered with water. Afterwards, some people have a custom not to dry off, to take a few drops of the experience home with them. All right, so just a quick overview. How many of you have never really, you know, that's all new to you, anybody? Okay, it should be new to pretty much everybody. I mean, uh, it's just not common outside of orthodoxy. Some conservative Jews uh, go to mikvah, but, uh, but as Messianic uh, Jews, almost none of us uh, make use of a mikvah. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Uh, but... Uh, yet, what we what we do need to understand is that the mikvah, the mikvah, and the whole understanding of the mikvah comes out of the biblical text. So let's begin by taking a look at Genesis 35. Turn with me, please, Genesis chapter 35. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 35. We're going to look at verses one through five, page 35 in the Congregational Tanakh. Genesis 35, verses 1 through 5. This is a section following where uh, Simeon and Levi went out and slaughtered the whole town of Shechem, or at least all the males. And so God says to Jacob, verse 1 of 35, Get up, go up to Bethel, and stay there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to everyone who was with him, Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Cleanse yourselves and change your clothes. Now let it, let's get up and go to Bethel so that I can make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way that I have gone. So all of his sons, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods in their hand and the rings in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak tree near Shechem. Then they journeyed, and the terror of God was on the cities that were, were around them so they did not pursue Jacob's sons. To hear in this text, what we see is that the people, uh, they, they get up and they go. There's a sense of fear, but associated with this is also repentance, a sense of tshuva. They give the foreign gods. Don't miss that. They wash their clothes and they bathe themselves. Take a look, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, this taking place after the exile. And uh, as the people were at the base of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verses 10 through 15, page 73. Page 73, Exodus 19, beginning in verse 10. Adonai said to Moses, Go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothing. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day Adonai will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You are to set boundaries for the people all around, saying, Be very careful not to go up onto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it, but he will surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it is an animal or a man, it will not live. When the shofar sounds, they may come up to the mountain. Then Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated them, and then they washed their clothing. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not draw near your wives. So here again, we see that the people are commanded to bathe themselves. And if we look throughout the biblical text, we see this continual uh, uh, action of bathing and purification continuing. Take a look at Exodus chapter 8. If what I just read had to do with the spiritual obedience, which is the blank, by the way, if you've got the doc, 
immersion as an act of spiritual obedience. Leviticus 8, this next section has to do with ritual obedience. Uh, Leviticus chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. Leviticus chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. This is found on page 101. Verse 8, it says, So he is to lift up from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering. Am I in the right place? Yeah, no. 8, beginning in verse 6. Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash on him, clothed him with the robe, put the ephod on him, and tied the skillfully decorated sash of the ephod around him and fastened it on him. He then placed the breastplate on Aaron, and inside the breastplate he placed the Orem and the Thummim. All right, so here we see washing. In fact, in the temple, there was continual washings. The high priests are, at, are told, directed to wash themselves. So we don't think much about this. But the biblical text, really from Genesis all the way to Revelation, speaks of ritual washings. All right, These are tvilah in different ways. In Jewish tradition, we have something called uh, the netelat yadayim, the washing of hands. You may say, where does that come from? Well, that comes out of this because there is tvilah, which is full body immersion, and then there is netelat yadayim, which is the washing of hands. Both of these are done and seen within the biblical text, mostly with the priests, but in Jewish tradition, those things were brought into the home so that we can understand them, especially now without a temple. Uh, you may say, though, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? It's all really about the inside. I'm not going to ask who doesn't bathe on a daily basis. But if you bathe on a daily basis, don't you feel clean? Doesn't it do something for you? When I, I you know, haircuts. When you go get a haircut, doesn't it just make you feel better? Order to chaos. Life goes from order to chaos. We go from clean to unclean. God has given us these things that really they're like object lessons, opportunity to be impacted physically, but that it really flows into our psyche and our, our, our spiritual reality too, our relationship with God. So immersion, immersion as it's basically within the Hebrew scriptures, has to do with this either the spiritual obedience where God calls people to clean themselves up physically in order to come into his presence, and also ritual obedience where there are times related to the temple specifically where the people were obligated to clean themselves up in some ways in order to come in for worship. You know, just as a side... Uh, I think it's a, it's a wonderful Jewish tradition that calls us to dress up when we come to services. There's something that's good about that because it takes us from the day-to-day reality of our world and, and it gives us an intentionality when we come together. What that means can differ, okay? But the idea is to intentionally come presenting ourselves before the Lord. That's one thing that I think is really helpful for us in our tradition. Hopefully when you came today there was that intentional preparation to worship the Lord, to spend time with him in this place. Now, the development of immersion, as we understand it within the New Covenant text, it's a public statement of decision. Those are the blanks. It's a public statement of decision. All right? 
And uh, the first thing that we need to look at is that immersion is a sign of repentance. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> this has to do with Yochanan the Immerser. Immersion as a sign of repentance. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is page 972. Page 972 in the Congregational Tanakh. It says, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of the Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Eutrea and Trachonidas, and Licinius was the tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came upon John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Just as an aside, all that information is there so that people can know exactly when this occurred. <laughs> all right? One of the things the biblical text always does is it wants to be taken seriously. That's historically accurate. Verse 3. And he, John, came into all the surrounding region of the Jordan, proclaiming an immersion of repentance for the removal of sins. As it is written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Adonai and make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled up and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. And all humanity shall see the salvation of God. Therefore John was saying to the crowds that came out to be immersed by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruits worthy of repentance and don't even begin to say among yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that from these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, boy, strong words. Let's understand the context. In the temple of Jerusalem, there's corruption. There's corruption in the temple. The priesthood is being bought and sold. All right? Uh, there are mikvahs that surround the base of the temple. If you, they, they're uh, going to be showing, they're actually opening up a whole uh, new museum related to this uh, in Jerusalem uh, because it's just fascinating what they've been able to find underneath, down in the ground. But, but the mikvahs in the temple were necessary because before the people could go on the temple, they had to immerse themselves and become ritually pure consistent with God's expectations in the temple, all right? Because this goes back, actually, to the, to the Old Testament text, the Hebrew Scriptures, and what God commanded regarding ritual cleanliness. But uh, here, Yochanan is doing something different. He is taking the mikvah, this, this, this uh, idea of, of a place where there is living water, all right, and he is literally taking it from the environment in Jerusalem out to the wilderness, and he's calling people to immerse themselves, not to go up into the uh, temple, but to basically express repentance for sin and to engage in relationship with God. You guys do know that if we allow sin in our hearts, God doesn't hear our prayers, right? So in other words, it's all about motivation and attitude. You won't be in relationship with God, then you're sensitive to your own sinfulness. And you go before a God who can't stand sin, but who easily forgives. And you say, God, I've sinned, and I repent, and I want, I want to serve you. I want to live for you the way you want me to live for you. And God says, you're forgiven. Isn't that amazing? When people, though, say, my sin's not so bad, 
God's like, oh, that sin is terrible. <laughs> it's the sin of pride, the sin of arrogance, intransigence. But God knows what we're made of. And again, if we just simply confess, he forgives us because of our faith in Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua has, through his shed blood, provided forgiveness for all sin. So here, Yochanan is basically saying them, calling them a brood of vipers. That's terrible. It's slanderous from them. No, it just it's, it's very descriptive. You brood of vipers, come and repent. You know, sometimes as Jewish people, we have this pride. We, we you know, a lot of Jewish people think, well, I have a relationship with God because I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm a great, 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 great grandson of Abraham or granddaughter of Abraham. Therefore, I'm okay with God because of that relationship. It's false understanding. And that's really what he's going at here. The descendants of Abraham are like everybody else. They must confess and seek God's forgiveness in order to truly be in relationship with God. And so what he is challenging them to do is publicly indicate their repentance by going into the Jordan River. And, and the way that they did it, and this is my belief, and I think I'm, I'm uh, securing it based on history, is uh, it wasn't this method that is very common um, in the baptistic mode, but instead the, the model that people went into the water on their own, immersed themselves, and came out. It wasn't uh, a dunking, as uh, many of us are familiar with, even in our Messianic Jewish community, something that really is only probably about 250 years old or something, maybe. Uh, but instead, uh, a self-willed effort to go down into the water, under the water, and then to come out. A sign of repentance, a statement of, of affiliation and allegiance. A statement, really, of faith in the fact that the God of Israel is God, and that they want to serve him and they repent of their sin. We see, a, a, we see immersion in this light a few times. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 20, this is a text we're very familiar with. This is page 943. Yeshua commands his remaining Talmudim, the 11 that are left. He says to them, uh, this is, uh, I'll just read it, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to the Galilee, to the Mount Yeshua had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some wavered. Isn't that always wonderful to know that, that they wavered? <laughs> I like that, what, what uh, David mentioned in his Jerash. Don't we waver? We are weak, but he is strong. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's the way it is. We are so weak. Some worshiped, some wavered. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaChodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Immersion as a statement of allegiance. A public statement of allegiance. When I was a brand new believer, a fellow uh, a guy was Catholic, became a believer, and he wouldn't tell anybody he was a believer. You know, it doesn't work for, for God. Yeshua the Messiah is very upset when we are not public about our faith. You know? So there are believers that don't get immersed because they're afraid of the public testimony of it all. We have to understand that immersion is commanded. Right? It's commanded as a public statement of allegiance. See the same thing in Acts chapter 2, where Kepha, Peter, challenges the people. 
And they're in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. And he says, repent. And a bunch of them, thousands, repent. And they get immersed. And where do they get immersed? In all the mikvahs that are down there at the base of uh, the Temple Mount. That's where they were immersed. They would go down into the mikvahs individually, one by one, and that was what they were doing, folks. How can I say that? Because there's no rivers. <laughs> there's no rivers around Jerusalem. Barely a creek, but there's plenty of mikvahs. By the way, um, in the book of Acts, you see uh, Philip and uh, the Ethiopian having the conversation, and the Ethiopian, after a while, says, here's some water. I'm going to be immersed. Immerse me. And you know what they just recently discovered? There's a path that these guys were on heading down in, uh, in, uh, down from Jerusalem that in temple days they had established mikvot, mikvahs all along the routes up to Jerusalem. And so uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, he literally probably saw a mikvah all on the side of the road because they were mikvahs along the roads and he just said, I want to get immersed. In fulfillment of everything you've told me here, I want to demonstrate my allegiance to Yeshua, and I'm going to get immersed. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul challenges the people to remember who they, that they were immersed in Yeshua's name. When we become believers in Yeshua, we become immersed in what they call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's really this immersion into the reality, the fullness of the Spirit of God within us. The sign of a person actually being a believer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is indwelling you? Check. Are you convicted? Can you have conviction of sin? Do you feel the, the leaning and the teaching and the inspiration and the challenge of the Spirit of God in your life? Book of Galatians gives us insight into that. Finally, I want to just mention the, uh, there's a late 1st century, early 2nd century uh, document called the Didache. And the Didache, some, many people uh, believe, was a document written for Gentile Christians to help them understand the way to walk, all right? The way to live out faith in a very basic sense. And one of the verses that, that, that's there, it's, it's chapter 7, verse 1, because that's how they got it cut up. It says, but concerning immersion, this you should do. Having first recited all these things, immerse in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in living water. A reference there to Jewish practice of immersion in living water. So the connection between this allegiance and the traditions that were a part of it leading up to this period of time. So this is just a very simple overview and background. I'm very happy to discuss more of it with anybody. But I want to just, I'm taking this off. <coughs> it keeps falling off. Uh, I want to say a couple of things in regards to immersion as we understand it at the Bar Emmet. Person, first, a person must demonstrate a genuine acceptance of Yeshua as Messiah. That's a tough one. We've had people immersed here who then seem to walk away from the faith. You know, the truth of the matter is, I know people that have done full-time ministry that walked away from the faith. Several of the people I've worked with through the years who just said, I don't believe anymore, and they just leave. How is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But... When we immerse people, we want them to be people that demonstrate that they are indeed believers, that they're walking out their faith. A person must demonstrate a life of progressive spiritual development. Are you where God wants you to be right now? No. But are you moving in the way that God wants you to be living? If that's a yes and you're not immersed, then you, you should seek immersion. Make a public statement of faith. At Debar Emmett, we do not immerse kids. 
I know in some churches they do that. I don't. We do not. Why? Because I, I think what a kid says at four, five, and six, I'd much rather wait and see when they're willful at 15, 16, and 17 years of age. To wait and see and to make sure and to affirm them in that faith that is their own, not their parents' faith. Why do we do brisses? Why do we do brit milah and baby namings? Because as adults, we are fulfilling the mitzvah. God has commanded us to provide a, uh, a bris for our sons as Jewish people. And we all as adults are making the pledge to raise these children in the Yerata Shemayim in the fear of the Lord and as Jewish kids, as believers in Messiah Yeshua. But that kid isn't going to make up their own mind what they're going to do until really post-bar and bat mitzvah. That's why we wait until then. And what I have found through the years is it's been a good practice. So a couple of just challenges as I, as I conclude this. How public is your testimony as a believer? Who knows you're a believer around you? And how can they tell? That's unique. Some people are very loud and very upfront, and everybody knows that's where they are. That's okay. Maybe you're quiet, but people know you're a believer because they know you take your faith seriously. They know that, that on your job, you're not like other people. I mean, you're not, you're not doing things immoral or, you, or your, your language is different. And people know your faith. Let's make sure that we're public about our faith, that people know that we believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, that the God of Israel is real, that this is the way, the truth, and the life. Not just one of many options, but the way, the truth, the life. In what ways are you demonstrating your loyalty to your Messiah? That's really important in our day and age. I, I tell you, we're living more and more in an age where people are going to challenge us. To be loyal to Yeshua means in some ways we have to be disloyal to others. You know, as Americans, I have no, should, we should salute the flag. We should say the pledge, right? We're Americans. We're loyal to our nation. But if the nation comes in here and they basically say, in order to be loyal to America, you must accept these expectations, moral or religious expectations that go counter to the biblical text. We already have an answer in the scripture to serve God rather than man and to accept the consequences that may come from that. You know, our friends, our fellow believers in different parts of the world, they suffer tremendously because of that. I mean, in China now, I guess there's this whole gauge of character. The believers, those who are public in their faith, are going to suffer tremendous issue because they, they're going to be discounted in their character because of their religious participation and their religious beliefs. So finally, where have you placed your confidence? In yourself or in your Messiah? You know, because the word mikvah, the core of that word, kana, means confidence. Isn't that interesting? And so as we go through our lives, let us remember that we have been immersed. We have been immersed, tefillah, in the name of the Messiah. We have demonstrated that, that faith by going into the mikvah. But let's live in confidence that the way, the truth, and the life, our faith in the Messiah is the way. And if this is something that you're not sure of, then talk with me today before we leave. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures and the challenge of it. God, I thank you for the fact that as followers of the Messiah, we can, we can be in relationship with you and we can walk out our lives. And that, God, public observance and public faith is what you expect. 
beginning in essence with that willingness to go into the water and be immersed in your name. And so, God, I pray that uh, as we as a community live our lives, that we would be sharing our faith. Help us to make Talmudim. Help us to be examples to encourage others to be public in their faith as we ourselves are public before you as well. We pray all this in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua. Amen.